Christ Community Church is called by the God of all grace for the transforming of life in Middle Tennessee, spiritually, socially, and culturally. Through the power of the gospel, from Franklin to the nations of the world, all for the glory of God. For more information, visit ChristCommunity.org. All right. Good morning, church. The peace of Christ be with you. I want to welcome those who are joining us on the live stream, all those who have joined us here in the sanctuary this morning. I'm Pastor Randy Lovelace, and I serve here as pastor, and I'm grateful to be with you. And uh, there are a couple of things we need to deal with first prior to going to the Lord's Word. Uh, and it is both uh, a tinge of celebration, but also sadness wrapped in hope. Uh, today is our 36th anniversary as a church, and God's faithfulness in uh, maintaining us, establishing this congregation, beginning, beginning actually in the basement of Christ Presbyterian Church with Scotty Smith, and then they moved to Franklin, to downtown Franklin, and then in 2001, moving here to this address, how good God has been in receiving uh, the text and communicating with Pastor David Cassidy and Scotty Smith over the last day or so, remembering God's faithfulness uh, to this congregation. But I also want to tell you the story of one of our earliest members, Ed Casey and his wife, Ann. Ed went to be with the Lord this morning and we want to remember him, to pray for Ann and to pray for the Casey family. Steve Casey, his son, is one of our elders. Tammy serving with us as well. And receiving this word this morning, I'm reminded that uh, the Casey family, one of the first members of this congregation and their love for this congregation, Ed's love for the Lord and for his family and seeing God's faithfulness of weaving the beautiful gospel of grace throughout that entire family and the ways in which we have benefited from that ministry. Having taken communion to him a few weeks ago, one of the things that I said to him was as these days and your days here are coming to a close, you might be tempted to wonder, have you done enough? Is the Lord faithful? Have I, have I lived up to what he wanted me to be? And one of the things we talked about is this reality. Thank the Lord that it is not we who hold the Lord in our hands. We are held in his. And the Lord has been faithful to Ed, and now Ed is enjoying uninterrupted fellowship with the Lord. But the end of the story is not death, but resurrection. More details will come about his funeral, but I would ask that you join me in a moment of prayer as we pray for Anne and for the Casey family, and for those of you who count them as friends and fellow believers. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your faithfulness to this congregation. 
We thank you for these 36 years. We thank you for the Casey family that you have brought to us from the earliest days. We thank you for Ed and Ann and their faithful testimony of your grace and mercy to them. Thank you for Ed's deep faith because it is a gift that you gave to him and that you then weaved through your covenant promises through that entire family. Lord, we ask that you would be close to Ann this morning, to Steve and his brother as they minister to their family. Father, may you be close to the brokenhearted, but may we also rejoice in the hope that is ours in the resurrection of Jesus, that the end of the story is not death, but life. When Jesus, you will come to make all things right, not in a disembodied out there heaven, but in a restored earth where we will enjoy resurrected bodies living with you forever. Lord, come. Come and vanquish death finally. As your resurrection claimed that victory over death, death is still here in our experience and we pray, may you remove this final enemy. And as we look to Advent and we see how you have promised the first coming We now wait in anticipation for the second coming. Come, Lord Jesus. Come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, of course, since you're 36 years old, that means this church is a millennial. (laughs) All that means, yeah. It is uh, God's faithfulness as we look to him in his faithfulness to this church, but also as we have uh, together over the last number of weeks been working through the beginning of this series, Delighting in the Trinity. And we've looked at this fall, the role and the person of the Father. And we began with Psalm 8 and we'll begin this section of looking at the Father by going again to Psalm 8. But I want to remind you of why we're here. Beginning in August, we launched a new vision as a congregation, and that vision is this, that we exist to make and mobilize disciples of Jesus to love, serve, grow, and renew. We believe this is our call to make and mobilize disciples, which is also the reason for why we're spending this full school year on the Trinity because of our ne- the necessity of being regrounded in what we believe as a church. We don't just believe in Jesus. We're not those who just simply pay attention to what Jesus has done. We recognize that Jesus has a Father. We have a Heavenly Father, but also that the Father and the Son sent forth the Holy Spirit. What difference does it make that we believe in the Trinity? What difference does it make to you if you are a believer, if you're not a believer and you're just wondering about the claims of Christianity, what difference does the doctrine of the Trinity mean? But also, we don't want to give into perhaps one of the things that quietly gets talked about in the church. That we don't want to talk about God as Father because of all the negative examples of earthly fathers. 
But the reality is the scriptures present to us the heavenly father and presents who he is and what he has done and his relationship and posture towards us as his creation. Yes, human fathers, I as a human father am broken and fail and fail miserably. And yet I need a heavenly father on whom I can call by his grace and mercy to help me and to help us in our time of need. This is not a time to be quiet about God the Father. This is a time to go deep into what it means to believe in the Trinity. And so we finish this segment of delighting in the Trinity, beholding our Father as we go now again to Psalm uh, 8. Hear now the word of God. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea and all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I know I've prayed already this morning, but I'd like to pray again. This morning, using one of our fathers in the faith, John Stott, long-term pastor in London, he prayed this every day, this Trinitarian prayer. And I would like to lead us in this prayer as we go again to Psalm 8. Please, Will you pray with me? Good morning, Heavenly Father. Good morning, Lord Jesus. Good morning, Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, we worship you as the creator and sustainer of the universe. Lord Jesus, we worship you, Savior and Lord of the world. Holy Spirit, we worship you, sanctifier of the people of God. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. Help the teacher. Amen. So as we look at this psalm again, I want to simply point out three things this morning. First, behold the Father's majesty, verses one through two. The psalmist's wonder, verses three to eight. And then finally, behold the Father's purpose, verse nine. The Father's majesty, the psalmist's wonder, and the Father's purpose. I want us to see how the psalmist calls forward the Father's majesty. It is a rather easily constructed psalm. It's 
first verse and its final verse repeat. They are the same. That is, in Hebrew, what is called an inclusio. It has a solid, clear opening, but then it closes with how it opened, giving us a very clear closure, but in the middle, proclaiming in broad terms what has already been introduced. David wrote this psalm for the purpose of God's people gathered in worship. It is clear from the psalm that he wrote it as a result of walking with the Lord at night because the psalm does not mention the sun as so many of the other psalms do. So it seems clear that we can infer that David is out and one of the watches of the night, which was common, perhaps the second or the third watch of the night, perhaps with his army, ready to defend the people of God. But here he wonders as he looks out at the creation and he calls on the Father's majesty. But it begins in a very odd way. It begins in such a grand way. He's showing the Father's glory and he says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That seems right. He's calling the majesty of who God is, and this is where we have been. He's using the covenant name Yahweh, which means he is who he will be, meaning he will only be that which he reveals himself to be. And we've looked at how God reveals that name. And David knew the history of God's relationship beginning with, of course, Moses, but then particularly with Abraham and the establishment of Israel, for which he is now the king. But what's interesting is when he calls on the Lord's majesty, I want to remind you that it is not unapproachable majesty that is somehow abstract from relationship. Because where we've been over the last several weeks, just consider the titles of the sermons which we have shared together. Our Father has a name. That name is Yahweh. He is who he will be. Well, how then has he revealed himself as majestic Father? That is, he is compassionate, slow to anger, faithful, holy, good, generous, all-sufficient, all-powerful. And as Pastor Richie Sessions preached last week, And his song is ever over us. This majestic father is not one who has created all things and then backed away from his creation. Rather, to use a very human term, God has leaned in relationally. For how does the psalmist know him as majestic father is the God who is, who will be, David has experienced him as one who remembers his plight, who has remembered him in his low estate, remembers him when he was being pursued by Saul. And yet what is David moved to write? Songs of praise of God's majesty seen in his faithfulness. So far that seems to make sense How majestic is your name, O Lord, O Lord. But then we see verse two. The psalm opens with God's majesty, but then it reveals God's subversive work. Notice what it says. Verse two, 
you set your glory in the heavens through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. So immediately the psalmist now takes us on a path of showing how God is going to use the seemingly weak things of the world to shame the strong. He's going to use those who are considered of very little account as a testimony, as a defense against those who raise arguments that God is not good. And the psalmist says, you have put the word of praise on the lips of infants and children because there are voices in the world that have raised up themselves up against you and against your honor and against your majesty, but you, O oh Lord, have set your majesty on the lips of children. I was able to see that this very day. Every time you leave this place, you are being discipled by something or someone, whether you realize it or not, whether I realize it or not. And much of what is in the world is not driving us to a deeper relationship with the Lord or moving towards him or believing him to be majestic or caring or relational. Religion is just something you do to make yourself feel better about yourself, to find a, a realized, better way of living. It's not necessity. It's not necessarily valuable. Just you keep that to you, and I'll keep my stuff to me, and let's just try to live good lives better than the bad stuff we do, and maybe it'll, the good will cancel out the bad. Simply move and try to be successful, try to make it through the day. And so we all show up on Sunday mornings as all these individual economic units that then are supposed to come together as a body of Christ with one voice and to praise our God. But slowly and imperceptibly, 23 hours out of 24 hours of our day, most of the days of the week, over 95% of our hours are spent being discipled by something other than who God is. And these voices say, God can be compartmentalized, not really needed. And all these voices rise up. Who needs Jesus? Who needs the Father? Who needs Christianity? Well, all that is happening. I am mindful that when I come here on Sunday morning as part of our worship team and delivering the word, I appropriately feel powerless because we're all being inundated with fire hoses of things that lead us and move us away from who the Father is, majestic, glorious, faithful, and relational. How in the world am I to announce that our God is majestic, which is why I need verse two. I need children to remind me that God is on the move. And this morning, I was walking down the stairwell. I came out of those doors and what did I see and hear coming out of the hallway of our children's ministry was a young girl recognizing and memorizing and reciting the books of the Bible as she was walking through the halls. I am powerless except by the Holy Spirit that God would plant the word of God in our hearts, but he begins oftentimes with our children to shame our wisdom, 
to shame our strength. Our covenant children, our children of this church are not second-class citizens. They are actually, this passage tells us, the voice of God reminding us, see how majestic is our God and worthy of praise. And the Holy Spirit is at work and he has ordained praise in the mouth of children and infants. I need that this morning. Do you? Oh Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Though avengers rise, though they attack the majesty and glory, beauty and mercy of our heavenly father, the lips of children say otherwise. May he do that in us. May he do that in each one of us. But also I want you to see the psalmist's wonder. After he's announced that God has established this in the mouth of children, he then says in verse three to eight, a series of questions, though not stated that way, it's clearly implied from the passage. This is David out in the night looking up at the stars without any light pollution at all. Can you imagine? Some of you can. (laughs) That when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man? Who are we? And he wonders and he is stunned in his imagination as he wonders. Look at all the glorious things that you have done and yet who is man that you are mindful of them or that you remember them? He's using relational language, intimate language to talk about how God doesn't just know you exist, he remembers you. He cares for you. But the psalmist is stunned in his imagination about that. You've done all of this and you, why do we matter? And he goes further. He says, human beings that you care for them. These are the same human beings who are already raising voices of objection to who God is that he's just talked about a verse before. Why should you care for humankind? And not only have you cared for us, not only have you been faithful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, he says more. He says, you have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You you gave us stuff to do. And you gave us dominion. You gave us work to do. Now I want you to, for just a moment, hear the way in which he's expressing it. As I said, no, not phrased in questions. The questions are inferred from his stunned imagination. He's now out looking, knowing that though God has made all these things, though he has remembered man and he has cared for us, Why has he given us any dominion at all? Look at the mess we have made. Regardless of what you think about global warming or whether it's real or not, 
If we move ourselves away from the hot topics and debates, the reality is we have not done a great job of caring for the earth. And we've done even a more poor job of caring for one another. Another mass shooting last night in Colorado. Wars and rumors of wars. Who is man that you've given him dominion? We are broken because of sin and our world groans, we hear in the book of Romans, for the return of the king. Who is man that you are mindful of him? Who is the son of man, which is a common phrase used referring to just general mankind, men and women? Who is the son of man that you would care for them? Yes, you gave us to be rulers over the works of your hands. You've put everything under our feet, all the flocks and herds and animals of the wild and birds of the sky and fish in the sea, all that swim in the paths of the sea. Lord, why have you done this? It's okay to ask those questions. And if it raises doubt in your mind, it did so in the psalmist. And it does so in me. I sat across the table last night at a wedding reception with a young man with a particular religious background, wondering, and he he asked me a question and he was kind of afraid to ask it. But he leaned in and he said, do you ever, do you ever doubt about what it is that you do? And I said, oh yeah, you bet I do. And he, he chuckled and he said, what do you mean? I said, if I am not asking these kinds of questions, then somebody needs to check my pulse. Because every Sunday morning, some blip, somewhere before the moment I wake up and I arrive here to church, I still can't believe that anyone shows up for church. And I read and I prepare for these sermons. And I will tell you, in, uh, in anyone who teaches the Bible and any of you here who read the scriptures, if you read this, don't you ever read it and go, I don't know. Really? Is this true? So yes, doubting and questions come with it. And even with stunned imagination, Oh Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name. You've created all these things, but who is man? Are you crazy? The son of man that you would care for him and give him any dominion. Lord, have mercy. Remember your faithful kindness, being slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. For Lord, I am a mess and we have made a mess of things. Lord, have mercy. But there is something hidden. And here I want you to be reminded of our vision statement. To make and mobilize disciples of Jesus Christ to love, serve, grow, and renew. I want you to remember, dear friends, if you are a believer, and even if you are not, one of the principles of the Bible is scripture 
interprets scripture. Meaning, we don't simply establish a doctrine based on one isolated verse. We want to see how does the story unfold and support that story throughout the whole of the scriptures. You see, it is right for David to ask, who is man? And that is right. Who is the son of man? How do you answer this, O Lord? And here we see the father's purpose. So I want you, if you have your Bibles, digitally or physically, keep your fingers in Psalm 8. And I want to tell you the rest of the story. In Hebrews, the second chapter, this Psalm is quoted. But notice how the writer of Hebrews looks back at the psalmist writing in Psalm 8 and now looks to see who the Son of Man is and what God has done in the midst of our sin and brokenness and how he has sent forth a true king. Hear how he deals with it. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 6. As he remembers, he says, but there is a place somewhere one has testified. Now quoting Psalm 8. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? The son of man that you care for him. You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and you put everything under their feet. And putting everything under them, under them God left nothing that is not subject to them Yet at the present time, we do not see everything subject to them, but we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. You see, the psalmist is right to look around at himself and others and say, who is man? But God had a purpose that in the midst of our brokenness and sin, he would send a son of man. The second Adam, Jesus. And now the writer of Hebrews is looking back at Psalm 8 through the lens of Israel's Messiah, Israel's King, the head of the body, the church, Jesus Christ. And it is Jesus who would be the son of man he would be the one who would be made a little lower than the angels, giving up his glory, being clothed in flesh. And now we, as we begin Advent, look to that season. But more than that, Jesus was made a little lower than the angels, suffered death on our behalf, even death on a cross, was laid in a grave, but on the third day, he was raised again to life. Therefore, the second Adam is now the firstborn of all creation. Israel's king died for the sake of his people to save them from their sins. And he also included the Gentiles. He included everyone that can hear my voice. For all who call upon Christ are brought close to him and who trust in him for their salvation, Jesus is the man. He is the one to whom the Father has given the calling to be Israel's true king, the true David, to be a redeemer for Israel, but also for the Gentiles and all nations under heaven. 
But the beauty of it is, this son of man died for our sin, yet was without sin and was raised to life on the third day. Do you know what that means? Well, I end with this then. Psalm 8, verse 9. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. David could not imagine, but I wonder if we can this morning. Do you know how majestic our Father is? He has not only created all things, He has not only remembered us and been kind to us, gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He loves His creation and He loves His people so much that he would send a true king, a true son of man, to die in our place, but to be raised to life in our place too. For just as I mentioned the passing of Ed Casey this morning, I want you to hear how majestic our father is. For that son of man who is given dominion who is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. Why is that so? It is because of this, 1 Corinthians 15. But Christ indeed has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the first fruits. Then when he comes, those who belong to him, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father. After he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power, that is his second coming. And that is the advent of which we are in. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Thanks be to God. For he has put everything under his feet. Now, when he says that everything has been put under your feet, it is clear that this does not include God himself who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the son himself will be subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be all and in all. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. The story is God has created all things we have made a mess. God came down. God died in our place. God was raised in our place. And he is coming again to make all things right. This is the majestic story. Your story, my story, is not first and foremost about my story or your story. It's about our majestic father in heaven who says... I am the Lord. May this fill our hearts, fill our hope, and reshape our love, friends, to love, serve, grow, and renew with one another and with the community and neighbors around us because this is what he has done with us. What a great story. May he continue to write it in and through us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask 
May you continue by your Holy Spirit and by your grace and truth to reshape us to see the story that you have written and that you are writing. Yahweh, the Lord who is who he will be, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Lord, have mercy upon us in Jesus Christ. You as a father, you have remembered us. You have come in your son. Now we await his second coming. Though we still are full of trials and challenge, though brokenness is right by us, though death is still present, the end of the story is that all things will be made right. And we will see Ed again. We will see all those who have departed, our loved ones and our friends, who've gone to be with you. We who call upon your name will enjoy uninterrupted fellowship, not in a disembodied other place, but in a new heaven and a new earth. Oh Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name. Give us imagination by your spirit to imagine it and to rejoice in it and to celebrate. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.